0: Well, good evening. I am. Uh, do you love Andy Roshkob? I am such a big fan of of Andy's. I, I have been, like he mentioned. I mean, it's it's coming up on twenty years that uh, from the time that I first met Andy when I was in high school. And uh, the thing that I love about Andy is that that those nearly two decades that I've known him, his life has had one singular purpose, and that he would multiply his own life, he'd multiply his own faith into others around him. And I, I love that and I love that he's leading you all as a group to do the same thing. This, this gathering is, is so encouraging personally to me because I, I've been in Oklahoma City basically my whole life And I remember vividly a moment in my 20s kind of looking around and thinking, where are all of the other believers in Christ that are willing to lay down their life for the sake of the gospel? And so uh, to gather with a group like this on a Tuesday night and sing these songs that we're singing and, and open up God's word together, this is unusual what we are getting to do. And I am uh, thrilled to get to do it with you. Um, and so we'll, we'll be in John 13, if you wanna go ahead and turn there, uh, we'll get there eventually. Um, but uh, before we do, I did want to introduce you to my family. So um, I think we've got some pictures up here. So this is, yeah, I know, right? She's pretty cute. So this is my, uh, my wife and I, and my wife is holding our, our daughter, Zion. So Zion was adopted from China uh, just in September of last year. She just turned two. And uh, when we, we celebrated Chinese New Year, happens in January and it's like their Christmas. And so we celebrated Chinese New Year. So that's that second picture. And uh, she, is, she is a lot, a lot of fun. And so um, we, we, we've had kind of a crazy, path a crazy road and i've i've um in september was when we adopted her it was in november that we found out that she had a tumor on her liver and for the couple of months we kind of didn't know. I mean, we felt like we were kind of in limbo of, of what does this mean for us, for her. Uh, we, my wife and I had a, a, an extended period of childlessness. Uh, we uh, had been in the adoption process for almost seven years. And then we also have been open about our own struggles to conceive naturally. And so when we finally got her, and then we have this, you know, this cancer that hits, it, uh, it really kind of rocked us. And, and it was one of those, moments where your faith gets tested and you get to see what what you're really trusting in right like there's a way to come and be a part of a group like this and to be really excited about jesus and really excited about the things of god but not to actually be excited about who jesus is himself but to be excited about the other things around him the church the 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 benefits that he gives, right? The things that he has, kind of wanting his things versus wanting Jesus himself. We'll see this tonight in the text. And so um, so that was, that was our story. Uh, praise God. In January, uh, she was declared to be cancer-free. That cancer is in remission. And so, yeah, we are thrilled. The Lord has seen it well to heal her for now. And so we don't go back. We were in the hospital every day to every week, and now we're going back in a couple months to go uh, check our blood levels and make sure it stays away. So, um, so that's, that's my family. Uh, I do have a brother, an extended family, and, and Bear, my brother, uh, worked here at Crossings one summer as an intern where actually he met his now wife, Clyte T. And, uh, and so I'm curious, how many of you have siblings that are, that, how many of you, let me say like this, how many of you are the oldest sibling? Okay. That's like me. You know you're in charge. You're the favorites of your parents uh, until, who is the baby? Who are the youngest siblings? Babies are always the loudest. Always the loudest, yeah. Um, I would ask if anyone is a middle child, but if you are one, you know no one cares. So... For us, it was just the two of us. There was me and my younger brother Bear. Bear was six years younger than I, uh, still is to this day. He's never caught up. Um, and whenever we were kids, we did. I, there were several things that I did as the older brother to kind of, you know, exert my dominance over my kid brother. And so one of those things was we played Rocky together. We played Rocky. So we had two pairs of boxing gloves. I would get down on my knees, so we were at the same height, and we would box each other, which you can imagine when I'm 10 and he's four or whatever the, you know, age difference was, it started off like nice and soft and then just continued to escalate until I had to deliver the knockout blow, Um, at which point he'd start crying. And to calm him down, I'd say, Bear, you can't cry. If you cry, Mom's going to get mad at us and she won't let us play Rocky anymore. It took him like three years to realize, I don't like this game, right? And so... (laughs) Um, we also, I remember we uh, shared a, uh, a collection jar of change. You did this maybe with your siblings. And I remember one day we were dividing it up and I had a, a moment of brilliance. They come rarely, but it came. And I said, Bear, why don't, gold is worth more than silver, right? So why don't you take all of the gold pieces of our loose change and I'll just take this, these silver pieces, these nickels, dimes, quarters, they're not worth nearly as much as these pennies over here, right? These are gold pieces. And so um, I was constantly doing these things to bear and then it, it kind of came back full circle on me when I went to college, I went to the University of Oklahoma and, uh, yeah, Boomer? All right, so um, when I was there, I, I pledged a fraternity and in the fraternity, when you are in your pledge year, your freshman year typically, uh, you are the younger brother that gets picked on, right? Like you are the one that is given all of the assignments that nobody wants. They, we, we clean the house every every day and especially every weekend uh, and everyone had, you know, it was okay if you got like, clean, you know, mopping the floors or taking out the trash. The one thing everyone wanted to avoid was the toilets, right? Like that's the nastiest place in a fraternity house. And uh, and of course, as pledges, you are the younger brother. You get to do that. And so uh, tonight, the, the the text we're looking at, I kind of set that up to say in John chapter 13, we're going to look at a passage um, that has very little to do uh, with being the younger brother of a fraternity house, but does have to do with a very, very important night. A night that the Gospel writer John was a follower of Jesus. The words we are gonna read tonight are the eyewitness testimony of a man who walked with Jesus during his time on this earth and is years later recording what he saw that Jesus did, how Jesus lived, and the, the events of his life that were significant to know. And so this isn't coming down second-hand, third-hand, fourth-hand. This is directly from someone who knew Jesus and walked with Jesus. I make this point because I am sure that there are some of you in here who are either wrestling with doubt or would identify as a skeptic, not a Christian. And one that the main stumbling block of coming to Christianity should be, is Jesus who he said he was? Is this man Jesus really the resurrected Messiah, son of God? Or was he just, was this all a hoax? And one of the things that gives me confidence in the resurrection of Christ that I can sing these songs with joy is because men like John that were there, that walked with him, saw him raised from the dead, and were willing to give their own lives for this reality. Like, consider for a minute that of all 12 disciples, right, minus Judas, who doesn't make it very long, we'll see that as well, that the 12 men that are following Jesus for most of his life, that if they came up with this hoax of pretending like the resurrection was a historical event, there is no doubt that under threat of, of murder, of death, that one of them would recount, right? Like if we were going to make up something that happened in here and we said this will be a great hoax like let's let's pretend that you know Andy died and resurrected and let's you know we kind of get the story straight and go out from here and start telling people that story well maybe if you're telling a friend you're going to lie and make something up when a cop interviews you you feel a little bit more intimidated probably right to tell the truth when you're standing before a judge in court even more so. And then finally, if someone was threatening you with your very life, and yet this is what happened to John. This is what happened to Peter. This is what happened to the followers of Christ. And every single one of them was willing to be martyred, to be killed for the reality that Jesus did die on a cross and raised from the dead. And in John chapter 13, where we're looking tonight, we are going to see his last night, his last night night on earth. And before we get there, uh, I'm gonna read uh, from, actually from Luke 22. So this is the same, this is in a parallel account from the gospel writer, Luke. And he says this, the day came of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And so Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat of it. Before we dive into this teaching, would you join me in prayer? Our Father, Lord, we come to you desperate for your word. We come to you hungry, asking you to speak to us. Lord, I pray for this group of believers that you would strengthen them with faith to believe in your promises, to believe the truth of your gospel, and to boldly proclaim that truth in a world that looks far different, in a world that lives far different. Lord, we can look at the disciples' lives in the midst of a culture that didn't know you and draw comfort, encouragement, inspiration for how we want to live. We don't wanna live for the things of this earth, we want to live for the unseen things of you. We love you, Jesus, when we pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So this is Passover week. Passover week is an important week in the Jewish calendar. As a matter of fact, if you, if you kind of think about it, um, in some ways, this was the kind of pivotal uh, holiday that was celebrated. It's Christmas or it's Thanksgiving. And so in the same way that you probably can't remember what you were doing On december 8th of last year i can you know how because that's my birthday right and you can probably remember what you were doing on your birthday last year it's a significant day that has a special memory for you and so you remember the events vividly well this is what we see in john's gospel that's happening that john recalls so vividly because not only is this christmas or not only is this thanksgiving and being passover But it is the Christmas or Thanksgiving that is right before Jesus, his best friend on this earth, and who he believed to be his king, the God of the universe, was murdered on the next day. And so as John is writing his gospel, he has this refrain that you would see if we had time to read the entire gospel of John, and it would say this, that my hour has not yet come. Jesus made the statement over and over and over again throughout John's Gospel. So in John chapter two, Jesus is performing the miracle of turning water into wine, right? which uh, after that, he goes and clears the temples. I used to teach that Bible study in my fraternity, called it Frat Jesus. Here he is, he's providing alcohol for the party, and he's gonna punch holes in the walls, which is what we did. So in John chapter two, he's doing those things, and Mary comes to him because they've run out of wine, and his initial response is, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. What does he mean? In John chapter seven, we see this again, that he is, uh, says, you may go up to the feast. I am not going for my time has not yet fully come. Later in that chapter, again, they're seeking to arrest Jesus, but no one could lay a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Chapter eight, no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. You see this refrain again and again and again, right? And so then when we get to Passover, John chapter 13, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come. The gospel writer John has been leading his entire gospel, this entire account of Christ's life to this moment. And he's drawing on the fact that it was Passover. Now what is Passover? What are they celebrating? Let me explain that hundreds of years prior, in the Exodus, you may uh, remember there was a, a Christian Baal movie, I think that was, you know, like "Gods and Kings." There's a recent rendition of every five, 10 years, there's another Exodus movie that comes out, right? And it's the story of the Israelite people who were enslaved in Egypt. And for hundreds of years, they're living as slaves, and God delivers them from Egypt. He brings them out, uh, and he does so by sending plagues upon the Egyptians. The final plague, the one that broke the camel's back, so to speak, was the death of the firstborn son. And, the, and they promised that the angel of death would visit any house, but that any, every house in Egypt, it would pass over that had the blood of of an unblemished sacrificed lamb on the doorpost, and so that night, no doubt, there were many and that were of the people of Israel that would sacrifice a lamb, that would eat the lamb, eat of unleavened bread, that they would uh, paint the the doorpost with the blood of that lamb in faith, believing that God was gonna make right on his promise, do what he said he was going to do, and they would be passed over and their firstborn son would be spared. And so after this happens, uh, there is there mass you know, uh, death basically across Egypt. Pharaoh lets the people go and they walk out into freedom for the first time. Uh, By the way, there's a little bit of a tangent. Pontius Pilate, uh, the man who would crucify Jesus, was only in Israel one week out of the year. And it was this week. Because you can imagine, like imagine if we were occupied, like imagine if we lost World War II, right? There was a uh, Amazon series that kind of depicted this, Man in the High Castle. Like if we're occupied and we're hoping to have a revolution that would start so we can gain our independence again, What day are we gonna look to do that? The 4th of July, right? Like we would have these fond memories of having our own country. So this is what's happening. So the the city of Jerusalem being occupied by Rome is at this boiling point. They're remembering the Passover. They're remembering as they are uh, not enslaved to the Romans but as they are not free in their own people, they are a part of Rome. They're looking back and wishing for the good old days when they were free. And so it's at this time that Jesus says, My hour, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. And I love the way it says this. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Isn't that a beautiful phrase of who Jesus is? Jesus isn't the type of of fake friend that's kind of one way with you one day in a different way when you're in front of another group. He's not two-faced. He loved those who he had until the very end. During supper, when the devil devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, so this is what's about to happen. Jesus, note, is bringing Judas into these final moments that we are studying together. That Jesus loved, not only did he love to the very end, Peter and John, his, his boys, right, his buddies, but he loved even Judas himself. And so one of the places I want to lead you tonight to consider is, have you bought into the lie that you, have, you are too far gone for Jesus to rescue you? That you are too far gone for God to save you and use you. If anyone had reason to, that we could look back in history and say, if there's someone that we could kind of give Jesus a pass for, for not loving, it'd be Judas himself. This man walked with him for three years. He, Judas saw him feed the 5,000. He helped collect the extra bread and fish in the baskets. Like, Judas saw him walk on water. Judas heard him teaching. Judas knew who Jesus was, and yet even though Judas was around the people of God, he wasn't himself convinced of who Jesus was. He wanted the things of God, but didn't want Christ himself. And so he has it in his heart to betray him, and it says this, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God is this not this is an amazing statement an amazing moment really when you think about it that Jesus had knowledge of who he was namely that he wasn't just a galilean you know peasant that's walking around with these guys but that he was the very son of God that he was God himself He knew that he was from God. He knew he was from heaven, not earth, and that he was returning to be back at the right hand of God. What do you think he's going to do in this moment? When he has full self-autonomy, he knows exactly who he is. He knows the power that he has. He can do all he wants. He's God. He rose from supper, verse four. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Let me explain what's happening. During this time, there would be uh, th- there wasn't shoes, right? they were like you know, not the way we have shoes, right? Uh, there wasn't uh, roads like what we have in roads. There was. Dirt roads, they were muddy, they were nasty, they were covered with not only mud but you know feces from animals and just every disgusting thing. Jesus and his followers had walked 3 miles that day. So you can imagine if we were going to with our shoes and everything walk from here to Lake Hefner, how our feet would smell, how they would be and with, that's with shoes and socks on and walking on paved roads the whole way. Jesus and his disciples had, you know, those like old school chacos, the first version, whatever that was, and they're like stepping in mud and feces and all these things, like their feet were nasty. And so what they would do in this day was the lowest servant would be assigned to wash the feet of the guests as they walked in. So there'd be a little uh, water basin that would be uh, sort of outside so that you could wash as you come in. and so. Jesus, this Passover meal that he's celebrating with his 12 disciples, this intimate moment, rather than looking at each other and uh, washing their feet or waiting for someone else to wash their feet, all the disciples are kind of looking at each other, seeing who is going to you know, admit that they're the lowest here. Who is going to be the one that is is greatest? As a matter of fact, if you look in Luke chapter 22, there's sort of a parallel account of this same conversation and it goes even farther, it is crazy. A dispute, it says in verse 24, a dispute rose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. This is the same night. Which of us will be regarded as the greatest? They start arguing over this. The king of the Gentiles, Jesus says to them, exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and as the leader, as the one who serves. For who is the greater? One who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? but I am among you as the one who serves. You see, what Jesus did was flip on them their kind of paradigm for how life was meant to be lived. And I would contend with you that this this act would actually flip what we see as leadership today in a positive way, in a biblical way. So what I mean is this, is in the first century Roman Empire, who was seen as, as someone to emulate? would have been the emperor, right? The Caesar, a conquering general who exudes his dominance over his enemies. And yet today, the people that we, that really resonate with us, that we love to hear their stories are the people who are willing to serve anyone, the least of these, right? Even if you don't know that much about her, I bet you know the name Mother Teresa, who's been long past. And yet, she had a life and a legacy that has outlived her own life because of the way that she loved and served others. And so that is what Jesus is saying. He's trying to flip their paradigm of what true leadership looks like to say, I am, the, am, am identifying as the least among you by washing your feet, by taking the lowest position, but they wouldn't have uh, all of them the same response. And so he came to Simon Peter in verse six, and Peter says to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? You will, I will never allow you to wash my feet. And Jesus responds to him by saying, if you do not allow me to wash you, you have no part of me. And so Peter quickly shifts because he goes from this refusal to be washed to instead embracing the need that he has to be washed clean. And the reality is that Jesus was not just pointing to Peter's need to be washed, but all of our need. All our need to be washed. That metaphorically, we need to be washed clean of ourselves, of our sin. That in and of ourselves, is our tendency not to live in such a way that we get to be made much of? I mean, is our tendency not to look for others to wash our feet? There's something inside of us, this this nature that we have from Adam, where we long for the good life and believe that that is going to come through grabbing it for ourselves. It's the lie that Adam and Eve believed in the garden, that somehow God was keeping from them a life that was greater than what they had. When the reality is the greatest life of all is found in being content with the things that, of who God is. And as we see, Jesus says to him in verse 10, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. Consider for a minute, Jesus, the picture of him washing the feet of Judas himself knowing that that very night, later in this chapter in your Bibles, that Judas would betray Christ. And yet Jesus loved Judas in this way that he would, to the very end, love him and serve him. And friends, I, what I want you to take from this study tonight is a few things. First off, that Jesus has loved you to the end. That Jesus, would go from here, again, be betrayed by Judas, would go to a cross. And the reason why that cross gets sung about, the reason why every single week, when you come to a place like this, when you go to church, you're gonna look and consider the cross and our our life in light of that cross, is because it completely redefines everything about who you are. Then the same way that Jesus knew who he was, knew where he was from and where he was going, that that reality is shaped for those of us that are in Christ by the cross alone. Who are we? We are sinners deserving of the wrath of God. We're not good people who God's pumped about to have on his team. Like we're sinners in desperate need of redemption and yet that redemption was given to us in Christ. It's like the old saying goes, our sin was so bad that God had to die, but his love for us was so great He was willing to die. Second thing is to see how Jesus responds both to to Judas and to Peter. That Judas is sitting here knowing what is gonna happen. Jesus knows what Judas is about to do, and yet he loves him and serves him to the very end. And at the same time, Peter, who's always putting his foot in his mouth, doesn't believe Jesus, refuses to do what Jesus says, and yet Jesus lovingly and patiently waits through him. It would say in Romans that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. You know that, that the Lord is patient with us. And then finally, that you would see service, that you would see leadership through the eyes of humble service. That rather than kind of leadership being defined by how many people you can domineer over or how many people you can command, that your capacity to lead is directly tied to your capacity to humble yourself and love others and to sacrificially serve them. It's the upside down way of leadership that we see in the gospel. And so I don't know where you are tonight. If you are like Judas feeling like you have belonged to a group of people that claim to love Jesus, but you haven't yourself embraced him, this is a place where you have people around you that love you and wanna walk with you through that. I don't know if you're like Peter, and you've been in church, you're following Jesus, but you just keep saying the wrong things, you keep stumbling, you keep messing up, and be reminded that God's grace for you is new every day. He loves you and wants to pursue you, and he showed us that on the cross. So this week, would you go out from here and be in a place be in a a mental, emotional, spiritual place where you're not looking to make much of yourself, but asking how you can make much of God by washing the feet of even your worst enemies. Because Jesus did that for us, even when we were his enemies. Let's pray. Father, we love you and look to you as our only hope in life and in death. Lord, I know, I know that you have given us your word and your spirit. And I ask, I ask that those things would penetrate the hearts and lives of all of us that we would live not for our own name, but for your name, Jesus. That we would find our identity, that we would find who we are, where we are from and where we are going, not in a story that is wrapped up in us, but in a story that is grounded in your cross. I ask, I ask that you would give us your Holy Spirit, that we might serve in a way that honors you. Would you rearrange our priorities? Would you give us a new love for you? Would you give us fresh eyes and fresh hearts for the people in this city that you love, that you have loved till the end? And would you make us bold to speak your gospel? We love you, Jesus. pray this in Christ's name.